What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Soto Sports Talk. I'm your host, Aiden Waite, and today I am joined by a very special guest from Average Ant and Big Red versus the World, Big Red himself. What is up, everybody? I'm happy to be here. Thank you for that intro, Aiden. Um, it's, I'm excited to be on here and get away from our normal cast, which is Ant and Big Red versus the world, uh, where me and my colleague Average Ant discuss a lot of sports topics and things. So if you get a chance, come check us out for sure. Uh, but I'm just happy to be here on Soto Sports Talk and get back to what I really like talking about is Seattle sports. All right. Thanks, Big Red. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Um, starting off, uh, we're going to recap the week 15 Seattle Seahawks loss. Um, the Seahawks came up short in OT versus the San Francisco 49ers, 23-26. to 26. Um, Penalties were a huge issue. The Seahawks set the franchise record, and, you know, throughout the game they lost with untimely pass interference calls and field conditions that ultimately they were not able to overcome. And uh, after that, we're going to get into our thoughts on the year this far for the Seahawks. So let's jump into the game. So the Seahawks started off pretty good. First drive, went down, scored a touchdown, seemed to be moving the ball pretty well. And then, without missing a beat, <laughs> Sebastian Janikowski misses an extra point, and he follows that up with a uh, business decision, they say, on the kickoff. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> oh, I think about that, guys. I know, I know some people, I've seen Seabass up in the supermarket buying some uh, some cheap vodka and and all that. Um, I'm thinking Seabass missed that extra point. Then on that kickoff, he was thinking more about what he's going to do after the game than uh, maybe ending up in a hospital bed. I know he definitely ducked away, but I guess when your kicker's almost 300 pounds, um, I don't know if I want to see him trying to make a tackle anyway. That's probably a good way to end up with Blair Walsh back on your team. No, that's that's true. But it's, you know, watching that play, it's, it's almost hard to say, like, why not try to slow him down? You know, you at got... least you know, at least just cut, cut, and like stand in front of him. Stand in it, front of instead him instead of you know he's he's coming up and and the calls and the kicker to beat you know and it's there was no kicker to beat. He said, "Ah, I did my kick. The sidelines over here. I didn't know the place could get that close to me." He and... was he was a dead sprint to the sideline and Nico Thorpe almost caught up, but he did. I thought he was going to. That his angle of pursuit looked good, but I uh, who who was it for San Francisco that returned that kick? Uh... I got it in my nose somewhere. Oh, uh, it was James. Um, Richie James. Richie James Jr. Richie James. That dude is fast. He, he was a burner, but, <laughs> I mean, that kind of just started the trend of just the things that were adding up, adding up against the Seahawks in that game. Yeah, I, I mean, 100%. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was a tough loss um, coming off a big win over the Vikings, uh, granted at home. But, I mean, it's it was a tough game coming in. San Francisco had just upset Denver. Uh, last week, nobody really expected them to win that game, especially not me as I picked the Broncos for my weekly pick em. <laughs> Thanks for losing me 200 bucks and then handing the Seahawks a loss the next week there, 49ers. That's pretty tight. Um, but, I mean, it was it was bad weather all, all game. I mean, really, the first quarter was okay, and then it just started pouring down rain. You saw players slipping, in particular on Garrett Selleck's, yep. Garrett Selleck's touchdown. Um, I can't remember if it was... It was T2. Was it Teddy Thompson? Teddy Thompson, yep. Slipped in the in the back end of the defense and Selleck waltzed in. Um, and so, I mean, it was bad weather game. You, you could kind of tell Russell Wilson didn't have his best footing, so obviously wasn't running very much. Didn't seem to affect Chris Carson none, who rumbled Oof. to 120 yards and probably the arguably the greatest one-yard touchdown run I've seen. That was incredible. I, I mean, two yards short, 
And he, that's and the he, first he, call. He moves, you know, 10, 10 yards sideways, <laughs> fighting for extra yards, and somehow manages to not let that knee touch the ground and slides in there. Unbelievable athletic play. I mean, to get stood up twice and just bounce off both and an incredible dive to keep your knee off the ground as you get that ball across on a fourth and goal. Right. I and mean... It's 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 been incredible to watch Chris Carson play this year. I mean, you'd hear Pete Carroll all last year talk about what we had in Chris Carson and how good this guy is. And, you know, he had his flashes when he was healthy. And coming into this year, I'm not going to lie, I had my I had my doubts whether he was going to really be this player that Pete Carroll was making him out to be. And and he's 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 blown me away. I mean, just constantly fighting for extra yards. Just whenever he has the ball in his hands, you know that it's going to take more than one guy to bring him down. Absolutely, and I, and I understand your reservations. I mean, Thomas Rawls pretty much did the same thing that Chris Carson did, came on his rookie year, took over because of injuries or whatever it was, and, and kind of performed. Thomas Rawls, I would say, had a hotter start to his career than Chris Carson did, but in Carson's second-to-last game, he, he went for over 100 against the Niners, I believe, um, or close to it, around 90 on 20-something carries, and Carson was going to be our horse, and look at that, he breaks his ankle right. out, out for the season. And so you, I mean, obviously I had it fresh in my mind with the, oh, well, hopefully he's not another Thomas Rawls. Um, I mean, exactly. we, we called Rawls mini beast mode when he was first going out there. Um, you got to think about, I mean, just, just the scenario that Rawls stepped into though. I mean, Marjan was, was having a good year and that offensive line was working as a unit and he comes in and to a team that's rolling. And he puts up what eight hundred yards that year? I believe so. Before he hurt him, hurt his broke his ankle against the Vikings. That was one of the best rookie seasons for an undrafted uh, free agent as well. No doubt. Yeah, no, that's uh, what they were. They were showing that um, running back from Denver, Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay just broke it the other day. Yeah, and so I mean that's so that just kind of shows you the tentativeness we have here as Seahawks fans. Um, but I I can't say enough good things about Chris Carson. Uh, one of the color commentators yesterday said Chris Carson's his favorite player in the league to watch. He proved why on that one-yard touchdown oh, run. Sure. Um, he's been proven why he's one of the best backs in the league all season. Uh, Mike Zimmer, the Vikings head coach last week, said that uh, Chris Carson's one of the best backs in the league. And you know what he did against the Vikings is 72 of his 91 yards were after contact. Um, and so it's... It's incredible. You mentioned Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay is the kind of is the guy that I believe is leads the league or tops in the league of yards before contact. So it just kind of tells you the holes that Lindsay is running with, and or at least the running style too. Yeah, he's, just the style a, of Denver's offense is avoiding contact early. Uh, and Chris Carson's not that kind of player. He's he's gonna hunt contact, and then if he doesn't want to blow you up, he's gonna jump over you. Right, and uh, I mean. Just get, getting back to the game. I mean, what, were, what do you think your biggest takeaways were from to Sunday's game? Uh, my, my, like my biggest takeaways, honestly, it Ethan Posick should never step on the field. Yeah, um, it's... I, I, it disheartens me to say that because I really liked Ethan Posick out of college. Um, he, he was supposed to be a versatile guy for us. He was a center in college. He wasn't the most highly graded draft pick by any means. I, a lot of people clamor for the Hawks to take linemen earlier, but he came on, had, played a solid rookie season. I believe this is his, his third or fourth year in the league. Um, I, I, I believe this is his third. Yeah, and so he, he had a solid first couple years, and, yeah. and, and this year we, we went to Solari, um, and we brought on... DJ Fluker, Fluker and, Simmons. And, and Sweezy back Simmons as well this year. Uh, but I, I expected Posick not to, I did not expect him to lose the guard battle to Sweezy. No, I thought he was uh, 100% going to be our starter at, 
at left guard coming I mean, into the year. The way he'd played each year, subtly improving, uh, albeit not necessarily a good lineman, but when in the dark times of Justin Britt being the only above average lineman we had, Posick had good games. Yeah, and he, was, so, he was he was absolutely serviceable out there. I mean, well, he definitely wasn't the weak link on that line at any point before I mean, this year, really. Yeah, exactly. Not at all. I would say a Fetty was more of a, a buster dislike than than Posick, and he was our first round guy. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's really surprising and just overall disappointing um, that Posick has stumbled like this. And, and I guess to hit an all-time low here with two crucial penalties. So, first of all, not only did he lose his starting job to J.R. Sweezy, he also lost any kind of competition to DJ Fluker. Yep. Um and then he ultimately lost it to Jordan Simmons, um, the rookie lineman that replaced Fluker and has had excellent games. I love Jordan Simmons. No, he's he's been great in the run game, and it, it just plays to his style of of blocking, right? I mean, just like Jermaine Fetty, and you just look at the way that the offense was running last year in comparison to this year, and people have. I mean, it's been clear that Fetty's strong suit is in the power run game. He is not a particularly great pass rusher. And I mean, he's a guy that he needs to fire out at you, and he needs to get your hands on you. Absolutely, and I think it's at speaking to that. I think that Slurry and Schottenheimer are are doing an excellent job in taking advantage of of the physical and athletic traits of their guys. I Pete Carroll, I, I clamored for it for years with Pete Carroll and Daryl Bevel to utilize, and, and maybe not necessarily. I more just wanted change from Bevel, but right, uh, yeah. But they're finally utilizing their strengths again, and. Posick with two disgusting holding calls, one in the Seahawks' last drive um, before the fourth quarter, I believe, wiped out like a 16- or 17-yard run by Mike Davis. Yep. And then in overtime um, on the Seahawks' opening drive. On McKissick's, uh, McKissick's 32-yard yep. catch down the sideline on, I be- was it a third down or was it a second down? That penalty was on third down. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. It's I, a killer. It, it, is, it is an absolutely, it's, an, it's a killer to be third and 15, third and 20. You know? 100%. And I believe it was three straight drives that the Seahawks ended up being third and long because of penalties. Yeah, and it's you incredibly frustrating. And and that's basically, I mean, that's one of my biggest takeaways is Posick. I don't know what happened, but you shouldn't be on the field. I, I want Simmons and DJ Fluker to get back healthy soon. Um, right. Yeah. But, I mean, just speaking about the offense, I mean, it was, I mean, how great was it to see Doug Baldwin back on the field? Oh, fantastic. Doug Baldwin, I, he, he looked about as healthy as I've seen him since uh, f- against Carolina, probably. Um, I, I know he then missed the next week, but that, that Carolina game, Doug, Doug said, this is probably the best I've felt um, all season long. And so to see him out there against San Francisco playing like Dougie B, right. making incredible catches, being open on scramble plays, it was, it was fantastic to see him out there. And, I mean, just having him on the field takes you know the attention of the defense. Because really, after Doug Baldwin, our best offensive threat is Tyler Lockett. And Tyler Lockett, despite, you know, he's had some great games this year, but Tyler Lockett is not an elite playmaking wide receiver that's going to beat you in a bunch of different ways. He's mastered the deep cross, but other than that, you know, Tyler Lockett's not a Julio Jones. You know, not he, by he, any he, means. Right. So he's he takes the defense's attention, but only to an extent. And, um, referring to Brady Henderson's uh, graphic that he posted on Twitter about Doug Baldwin on the field compared to off the field in regards to Russell Wilson, it's pretty amazing when you break down the stats. Uh, Russell Wilson's completion percentage is 67.9 with Doug Baldwin on the field and 61.6 with him off, which, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but 
I mean, uh, that's quite a significant difference in his QBR with him off the field, 85.1%. And when you think about Russell Wilson, you think about a great QBR. He's got the highest QBR among quarterbacks from 2012 to present. Is that is that QBR or is that passer rating? It's passer rating. That's my bad. I, <laughs> I was, was 85.1 is a pretty damn good B- QBR. <laughs> but 125.7 passer rating, that's... That's elite level. That's that's that would lead the league higher than Drew Brees having a phenomenal season. That eighty five point one puts you among the ranks of Case Keenum right. and uh, mediocre quarterbacks, really. And that's that's just crazy to look at. I mean, I mean, it is. I I I love that you brought up that graphic just because it shows how valuable Doug is this season. He's not putting up his best yards numbers by any means this season. His best touchdown numbers by any by any means, but he's on the field. And, and that exact thing is he is, Doug Baldwin demands attention. Right. He absolutely does. He is our, he's one of the best slot receivers in the league, hands down. He's got probably the best hands in the league, or right up there. Him and DeAndre um, Hopkins, I probably might, just the top two guys that are just going to bring in those tough catches. Every pass. I mean, you the amount of diving plays I've seen Doug make, I've seen Doug leap six feet in the air to ra- ra- try and wrangle in a high Russell Wilson pass. And so he's been dealing with injuries all year. There's been kind of some cloud of confusion around it and why exactly he's not 100%. Is it a groin? Is it his knee? Is it this and that? But like I said, he demands a ton of attention, and there's a reason that Tyler Lockett is having this breakout year with nearly 800 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, Russell, to him, has a perfect QBR. He's got no drops this year, but it's, and, and that's no discredit. I mean, no discredit to Tyler Lockett at all. Like you said, he's a master uh, of the deep ball. He's fantastic at creating space with his lightning speed. Uh, and but But the thing is, Tyler Lockett's, with the exception of defenses that run their corners just on the outside. Uh, so Richard Sherman, for example, in the 49ers. Right. Richard Sherman's facing up with Tyler Lockett way more often than he is with Doug because Doug's in the slot. Mm-hmm. But in zone coverage and things, Doug Baldwin will be a focal point. Yeah. And that allows Tyler Lockett to get a lot more one-on-one coverage. And there's a reason that David Moore and Tyler Lockett are coming up with these big touchdown plays. And it's because defenses don't want to get burned by Doug. Because they know when Doug Baldwin gets going, Russell Wilson gets about as hot as any quarterback in the league. And when Doug and that Russell connection are going, I try and tell me Russell and Doug aren't elite players. It is absolutely one of the just the best chemistries in the league from passer to QB. I mean, no doubt. Passer wide receiver, excuse me. But, I mean, it's just fun to watch. Absolutely. You know, it, I mean, Doug Baldwin is the master of getting open on broken plays, and Russell Wilson is the master at finding Doug Baldwin every <laughs> he time really on, is. Those, on those broken plays. But, <laughs> um, you know, going from the offense, uh, how about the defense? I mean, the defense overall this year, been a little inconsistent. They've been they've been great at times, and they've kind of made you just want to scream I, at other times during the year. Absolutely, and I, I mean, we'll, we'll get away from, uh, I guess, the good things um, when we're talking about the game here because the defense is really with the exception of one position group um that i'll speak to a little bit later or me and aiden both will um it it was a real letdown bobby wagner had turned in performance after performance after performance of player of the week nominee was the player of the week against the last time they played san fran um and i'm clamoring for bobby to be more than the fourth pro bowl vote what a joke right um but he's been playing defensive MVP levels and the linebacking core this week and the secondary really flopped. No. Uh, and in, in, in 
and, and, and at some point, you got to give credit to Kyle Shanahan because he did a 100%. great job avoiding Bobby Wagner and making sure when they were running that their linemen had free releases to the linebacker and they were putting a hat on him. And, and that's, that's what teams failed to do is get to Bobby Wagner before he can get to the ball. And the Niners, for pretty much the whole game, I think Bobby had seven total tackles, which is the low for him, I believe, for the last three or four weeks. And um, in that, you know, another thing is, is the loss of Michael Kendricks compared to last week. I mean, you, you looked at the linebacking core last week. They're jumping up and down. They're fired up. They're making play after play. They were getting into it. And you put a guy like Austin Cletro back in there. And, you know, Cletro did have a great, great game a couple weeks ago. But at the end of the day, Cletro, and he was exposed in coverage a little bit by the tight ends. He was kind of getting lost. He was getting sucked in by the run. And, and that's just the difference between having a guy like Michael Kendricks and KJ Wright out there compared to having Austin Kalitra out there. Absolutely. And I, and I, so for me, I, I'm not necessarily as down on Kalitra. I know he didn't have a great game. He actually did lead our team in tackles though, uh, with, with nine total. Um, Bobby had eight, six solo. Six solo. Um, it's speaking to Bobby. It's weird to not see him have double digit tackles. All right. right. He, Bobby Wagner hasn't missed a tackle all year, but exactly like you said, Kyle Shanahan is an incredible offensive mind. I felt like this the whole time I watched them spring wide open tight ends. Uh, they used a lot of movement behind the line of scrimmage and and different blocking schemes that took away Bobby Wagner and didn't allow him to just wreak havoc. Um, the, the blitzes, we didn't blitz a whole lot until the second half of the game uh, based on what I saw and... That's usually an area where Bobby Wagner lights a fire under his team. He comes up with a sack out of nowhere or big QB pressure and turns into a pick, something like that. Right. And and we didn't see that until late into the fourth quarter. And when you're not when you're being taken out in the running game, I, I wanna say first and foremost, I think we actually did a pretty good job containing San Francisco's running game. But when Bobby Wagner's not able to be there and blow up every single play and just kind of set the tone, Austin Kalitro should not be leading our team in tackles. No, absolutely not. Uh, he's a rookie. I, I, I do know that he did not play a great game, um, but I, I, I was more concerned with our safeties in terms of coverage than anything else after Bradley McDougal went down, obviously. No, yeah, he comes up with a huge forced fumble on that on that massive gain, and almost immediately after he comes out of the game, and that and that and that's a game changer because without Earl and Cam Chancellor back there, your communicator back deep, your center fielder is Bradley McDougal, and he's been he's been great this year. Fantastic. For the most part, and you know that getting that forced fumble was 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 key for us. And you know I, I got to give it to Delano Hill though. I mean Delano Hill came in and he played the best coverage that I've seen him play all year. Absolutely, and I I, I guess I'll we'll dive back into the secondary here now. I, Delano Hill has not played a whole lot this season. I believe he's only appeared in five or six games uh, because he's been behind Bradley McDowell, who who has played in excellent brand of football pro football focus has him right around 78 79 uh with an overall grade which is just a hair below high quality in their terms of their grading scale um mcdougald's and he's done it largely by himself right Um, and so to lose him is huge blow for our defense in that game uh and i mean you kind of you didn't necessarily see us get bur- like Delano Hill get burned a bunch because he didn't. Like you said, he came in and played an excellent brand of coverage, and he had that one bad PI call. And I mean, I think he was. I think that was totally it was, fine it was coverage. Beautiful coverage to break that pass up, and the the only time I've seen worse PI call 
Oh, that's not true. I've probably seen plenty worse. But in that game, <laughs> the only worst PI call I saw was the one on Shaq Griffin at the end of the game. <laughs> there was there was a few marginal pass interference calls in that game that I mean I think the, all the holds were there, but I I think it's 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 widely believed that that was a poorly officiated game. I I and I think I think to a degree, yeah, I would say. Obviously, when you rack up 148 penalties, either you are a very, very bad football team or a few of them got away from the refs and they didn't quite realize how much they were playing into the game. Uh, so I, I think I, I would say probably eight or nine of the penalties on us were probably fairly legit. I, mean, I agree. They, I agree. Majority of them had a reason to be called. They probably didn't all need to be called. Uh, but from that, it's... It's tough to overcome penalties like that, and especially when they're pass interferences, and especially when they're late in the game. No, absolutely. It's, I mean, 148 yards, was it? 148 yards, franchise record. I believe it was 14 accepted penalties. Right, and you can't expect to win a game like that under any circumstance. Not at all, and Pete, Pete Carroll, um, I'll, I'll pull up his quote from his morning radio show with uh, Brock Heward where he talked about the penalties and and things like that. Um, And so this is what Pete said on the radio show. He said, there's no reason griping about officials or anything like that. You could see stuff on most calls. There's a couple that you always question, but that was the issue. The big plays that we had getting behind the sticks because of penalties and not being able to overcome it. And so, I mean, with that, Pete kind of owns up and says, yeah, we played bad. We, we had a bad week for penalties, and and we weren't able to overcome it, and we saw that in overtime loss to a 4-10 and 10 team. Yep. And, I mean, thank God as a Seahawks fan you can kind of rejoice because uh, according to uh, the statistics, uh, the Seahawks still have a 99% chance of making the playoffs. So even after that bad loss to a divisional rival, it's there is still reason to be hopeful. In that, and, that, and that's what's keeping me from – from hiding inside this week, you know, from, from not talking to anyone from just, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to take the positive away from the game, you know, and, and you know how the Seahawks are playing at home, big game against Kansas city. The defense is going to be fired up. You know, they, they were fired up from the get go against the Vikings. And I think that they came a little, came out a little flat. And I think that was clear to see that it, it took them a while to catch back up. And in the, in the fourth quarter, they were back. You look at Frank Clark, you look at Jaron Reed, those guys were balling just like they were last week against Minnesota. And and that's what I expect from the get-go against Kansas City because, I mean, Pete Carroll's players always play with more energy and bigger games. 100%. It's it's Sunday night football. Right. Um, and I, I guess kind of last thing I'll say on that disappointing game, uh, it was a divisional game. Um Tough team to play at home. San Francisco's all four of their wins are at home, I believe. So I like you like you, I want to stay on the positives, and I think we have for the most part and that key piece to that Chiefs game next week is that D line, who I think actually played a pretty good game against the 49ers. Um they early on there was there was some amount of QB pressure. We couldn't really get home. Um, but throughout the game, the combination of Jaron Reed and Frank Clark on the right side, it's Unreal. They were up against Joe Staley, right. who's 
a San Francisco lineman legend. Essentially. He's, he's an NFL legend. He's a sure thing Hall of Famer, and, without and, a doubt. Exactly. And so to, for me to basically watch at least in the entire fourth quarter, when we're bringing four, yeah, we brought a blitz one time that didn't get home, caused pressure, and actually ended up being like a 12-yard gain to Breda. Uh, with four men down, Jaron Reed coming up with two sacks, I believe. Two huge sacks late Massive. in the game. Fourth, fourth quarter. Uh, and Frank Clark being right there next to him, and just to watch the two of them blow up while Reed rips and swims on the inside, it's it's incredible to have a defensive tackle with eight and a half sacks on the year. And Frank Clark, is he at 11 or is he at 12 now? I believe he's uh, he's still at 11. I don't think he had a sack against the Niners. Um, e- either way, that is that is almost 20 sacks out of uh, your right side of your defensive line. And out of a guy in Jaron Reed that wasn't supposed to be a pass rusher. He was drafted because of his run-stuffing ability and for him to have eight and a half sacks and just just be wreaking the havoc that he has been this year, especially lately. It's It's been so refreshing to see out of a player that, you know, kind of could have gone either way this year. Could have just been what he has been, you know, just a decent player. Or He's, he's really, really grown into his own this year, and as, as well as Frank Clark. I mean, Clark had, what, nine sacks last year? I believe in, uh, in nine or ten. Nine or ten sacks, right? And I mean, he's put up. He's he's built on that year. I think he, for the most part, he's he, he's been a lot better than he was last year. Oh, one hundred percent. And I think that I'll, I'll speak to both of those. I think it's a product of Frank Clark finally being handed the reins. Uh, Averill's gone. Ben Averill stayed around the Hawks. Does his own radio show. I love Cliff Averill. I absolutely love the guy. <laughs> Unfortunately, had to retire for injury. Michael Bennett's gone. Um, th- these vets are gone. It's Frank Clark's show. And he is running it to perfection, and and so I mean I can't say enough things about the dude that's probably hoping to get paid around twenty million. I hope we can get him back for a little less than that. Uh, but one way or another, he's he's taken the opportunity and he's ran with it. He bet on himself. Didn't sign an extension. Probably could have signed one for around fourteen, fifteen million this year. Uh, but he's like, no, I want. I'm seeing Aaron Donald get this money. I'm seeing other big DNs get this money. I want to prove what I can do. I don't. I don't know if he's necessarily on those guys' level. But he's having a fantastic season and playing alongside Jaron Reed, who you mentioned is a guy that's not really even supposed to be there. Jaron Reed is a fantastic, well, let me rephrase that, was a fantastic rotational player, a guy that, you know, could occasionally get a little pressure on the interior, was a solid run stopper, not necessarily an athletic freak by any means, uh, but this year he's stepped up. I mean, he's really... Jaron Reed has done his best Michael Bennett impression all year. I mean, we don't put him outside nearly at all, which is what makes the eight and a half sacks incredible. But he's got that interior pass rushing ability that made Michael Bennett one of the best defensive linemen in the league. And I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Rasheem Green. Um, that was supposed to be your job. You were supposed right. to step in and do that. He was supposed to be the pass rushing interior guy that, you know, the Michael Bennett type, the guy that can play inside or out because he had the speed to play on the outside. I and mean, clearly he wasn't the best edge rusher, but he could, he's a guy you could put in either spot, you know, a good guy for our system and it's very similar to Michael Bennett. And he had tons of success here. So to see Jaron Reed becoming, you know, that Michael Bennett like player is I mean, it's it's just it's it's great. It's this year as a whole for me has been so refreshing. You know, going into the year, you had people saying what four wins, Seahawks were going to get four wins, and I just would counter that with no, I think they're going to get ten wins. Was I confident that they were going to get ten wins? You know, <laughs> absolutely not. But you know, I believe in the Seahawks, and in they've you know even if they don't get to ten wins this year, then I mean, still 
this year has been it, it's been fun to watch. You know, even when we lose, it's it's been great because you know the losses last year. There was so much talk, so much you know. It's it's their fault. It's their fault. You know, there's pe- always a, a negative storyline. Finger right. pointing at the end of the game, and it was never oh we didn't play good football this week. It was oh you know Richard Sermon got really angry on the sideline. Right, and, screamed at Daryl Bevel. Yeah, or you know, and, or you had to hear about you know whatever was going on with Michael Bennett off the field. And <laughs> you know, regardless of those scenarios, it, it's just it's something that you know you get tired of. When it's when it's constantly happening, you know, and we started off this year with the with the Earl Thomas dispute with the Seahawks and the holdout, and you know, it kind of just brought me back to last year at, at at first, and we were losing games, and I was like, wow, this is another year where the the Seahawks, you know, guys that I we loved, you know, that that just absolutely balled out for us, are now, you know, in a sense, our worst enemy at the same time, and you know, after. Earl Thomas came back. He, he played awesome. You know, Fantastic. I absolutely he was the highest rated Thomas. safety in the league when he was back. Right. And, you know, it sucks to see him go down like that, but him going down has allowed for, you know, Tedrick Thompson to, you know, get more reps that he hasn't had the last couple of years. You know, it's Delano Hill as of late. I mean, Bradley McDougal's been there, but now Delano Hill getting more reps. I mean, that's a third-round pick that really hasn't seen the field in two or three years. Hey, and exactly. And, I mean, I – it's you're they were stuck behind a log jam in Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. I'm rocking my Cam Chancellor jersey right now. Um, one of my favorite Seahawks of all time, uh, as as well as Earl Thomas. But but exactly like you were mentioning, Earl Thomas has that that saga of him staying away and then coming back for the first three games. Uh, yeah, he came and played a fantastic brand of football. Took away time from Tedrick Thompson, who spent the entire preseason as the starter right and prep to be the starter prep day ones they didn't know if Earl was going to come uh so I on an underneath level I'm not necessarily sure how happy Tedrick Thompson or Delano Hill probably were about Earl stepping immediately back in I'm sure they have no gripes about his talent um but I'm, I'm glad that I that I didn't play a bigger effect on Thompson and Delano Hill's kind of belief in the culture um like a perfect example Earl Thomas against the Dallas Cowboys. We had two picks. Yeah. Uh, fantastic game. Yells, come get me at the Dallas sideline. I, that is exactly like last year. That is an exact moment like last year where I'm watching. I'm like, I, I had to sit there and, and make up theories and things and listen to Earl Thomas's vague explanation and blah, 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 blah about why I should still like Earl Thomas on the Seahawks after doing something like that. Um, and then obviously he gets hurt, and I don't wish that on anybody. Is a terrible injury, terrible for him to hurt that same leg. Um, but just like you said, it's given Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill an opportunity to step up, and and Tedrick Thompson flashed good ability early on. He played really well. Um, he's he's settling in more around like league average at the moment, um, with the occasional solid play and more often the occasional busted coverage which has been frustrating, bad tackling as well. Yeah, uh, that's been his biggest issue, in, in my opinion, is, is the tackling, and the open field tackling for that matter. I mean, you can blame it on the field conditions, but, I mean, to be honest with you, that's not the first time I've seen Tedrick Thompson fall and fall this year. It, and it's not, and, and it's so, I, it's frustrating because I really like T2. I guess I really liked him early on. Um, I, he's getting a little harder for me to trust because of that tackling, and it, it almost seems... Like, he's not necessarily bought into the kind of Seahawks tackling mantra 
um, of throwing your shoulder. I, I see T2 throw his body at players a lot like I saw Earl Thomas do. Um, the problem is he's not as good as Earl Thomas. Exactly. Yeah, the difference is, is that Earl Thomas was sending the ball carrier backwards, not bouncing off them. Exactly. <laughs> and and so that it's been a frustrating aspect of the whole season is him struggling to tackle. I mean, his coverage was good early on, but we've seen his fair share of, of blown coverages and whether or not that's just a young player meshing with a new defense or what have you, it's it's still disappointing for a guy that started off really well in his first few games replacing Earl Thomas um, and now in a defense that hasn't really been great against the pass all year. Uh, the Seahawks are around middle of the road, if not bottom 10 in uh, receptions allowed this year, at least reception percentage. Uh, they're giving up a, a completion percentage around just under 70%, which is bottom 10 in the league. Um, so, I mean, it's... To me, at least, it's a lot of young guys. With Tedrick Thompson, Bradley McDougald's 28, still still young, but I mean, he's really the leader, and he's yeah. played fantastic all right. year. Uh, and so you got Trey Flowers on the other side, Shaq Griffin on the right side. That's, that's two, basically, rookies, and then a sophomore that started last year but missed seven games with injury. And so you have three key roles in your secondary, not even your nickel corner. Justin Coleman is a fantastic nickel and corner. He's played great this year. And I mean, he's he's really been a model of consistency. You know, he's not a guy that's going to light up the stat book. He's not a guy that you know you're going to hear about all the time on ESPN. But he's a guy that you can trust. 100%. Right? He's, he's going to lock down that slot receiver and and he'll make plays. I mean, what he had he had pick six last year, two pick sixes last he did. year possibly. And I, I believe he has at least one. Yeah, and I mean in a touchdown against the Vikings. So I mean he's he, he's he is a playmaker. How, what did Stefan Diggs do last week? Jack. Exactly. What did Adam Thielen do? I, n- not much. I mean, now we can talk a little bit about how bad Kirk Cousins was. But, right. But, I mean, it's St- Stefan Diggs is one of the best slot receivers in the league. Um, Thielen plays well out of the slot, too. Doesn't do it a ton. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but Justin Coleman is one of is not the best but he's one of the best slot corners in the league in my opinion and he's proved the last two years i have no idea how we got him from the patriots for like a seventh round pick uh for absolutely nothing essentially yeah and that and, but that right there just and that's just pete carroll and john snyder doing their research knowing what guys work in this system i mean you look at trey flowers and i think trey flowers has been unfairly picked on by people on twitter for the most part of this year yeah he's, he's had his moments where he's been a rookie but I mean, you got to give the guy some credit. He's a first-year corner. I mean, he didn't play cornerback in college. He was drafted as a safety, and once he got here, he was converted to a corner end because of, you know, just his size and his speed and his hips. And, I mean, how how can you complain about the way that he's performed this year as a first-year corner in the NFL? I mean, I, I really can't. I, I've actually been really happy with the Trey, the way Trey Flowers has played and with his body size. I mean, essentially, he's a Brandon Browner that's not in prison. Um, right, great tackler. He's been a fantastic tackler. He's got the great body for it. I mean, that's probably in his safety background. Uh, and so I think he's played really well. I mean, we, we when we played the Packers, the big story was that Aaron Rodgers was going to shred Trey Flowers. And, and he gave up a few plays, but for the most part, he held his own. And I don't think he's really been... Uh, what's the word? Um, exposed? Exposed, exactly. I don't think he's really been exposed by anybody this year. And and to that to that end, I, I 
Shaq Griffin, I think, has played a little bit more consistently than Trey Flowers. He's been healthy most of the year. And he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't obviously received the attention that Trey Flowers has received this year. Exactly. And 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 I think that's a bit of a testament to, to Shaq Griffin taking the next step. Um, I don't think he took as quite a big a leap as everyone was hoping. Um, but Shaq Griffin is playing better football than he did last year. He missed most of last season. So this is, I, I we talked about this earlier in the year. I, I like to look at this as an extension of his rookie season for right. Shaq Griffin. Um, and in his first, you know, real time as the number one corner in the defense. And, you know, absolutely. it's it, it, things are a little different when you have Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman in that secondary with you. You know, there's a lot of help. There's a lot of mistakes that you can make that get covered up, right, that get overlooked because – somebody one of those other great players makes a play and you know this year there hasn't really been a lot of that it's been Shaq Griffin is the number one corner and I mean he's he's the best guy that we got and he is and I and you say Shaq Griffin's the number one corner I yes he is our number one corner I wouldn't say that he is a elite number one corner by any means I would not say he is a great number one corner I, I I would say he's he's a good corner with the potential to become a really good, a really good number one, and if Trey Flowers can develop with him, I'm. I think we. A lot of this is the youth movement, and Pete Carroll is a fantastic defensive back coach. And I mean, yeah, Chancellor, Earl, Sherm, all great and talented. Uh, they went into the perfect system. Absolutely. And so I, I'm just really excited to see these guys develop. Sherman was an elite right out of the gates. Earl Thomas was, because Earl Thomas was the seventh overall pick and is a freak. Right. Um, Number one safety taken in that draft. Yeah. People thought Earl Thomas was going to be good, and Earl Thomas exceeded expectations. Absolutely. Um, And so, I mean, without that, obviously, uh, maybe the Seahawks take a big secondary pick next year. Um, Obviously, the offensive line's doing a little better, and so... Not everyone and their moms are going to be telling us they need to take an offensive lineman, right? Which I'll be great to see if the Seahawks have the freedom to take somebody else. Not that they ever do take offensive linemen, but I, I'm, I'm overall I'm excited about the secondary. Um, not maybe not necessarily for this year. I don't exactly see any one of those guys taking an elite level step in the final weeks. It'd be fantastic if they did. Maybe Delano Hill fills in for McDougal this week. I'm not sure if he's back against the Chiefs. I honestly really hope he yeah, is. I really hope so as well. Um, I think that's a big aspect of us actually beating them as somebody that can cover Travis Kelsey. But uh, I, I unless Delano Hill takes maybe a big step forward in the game he gets to start, or if he gets to start, um, I don't necessarily see any of them taking an elite-level step forward, but that's fine to me. Hill and Tedrick Thompson and Trey Flowers are all essentially first-year players. Trey Flowers is actually a rookie. Hill and Thompson have sat behind elite safeties their entire two-year careers, I guess. Um, and Shaq Griffin, first year as a number one corner, not terrible results, not no. f- not fantastic by any means, but it's it's n- to it's build nothing off. to be concerned about. Absolutely, and, and that's what you know really matters to me is that you know he's he's not been alarmingly bad. He and and he has showed up, you know, in key situations late in games. I mean, if you s- change that PI call against him. In the uh, end of the coverage. Niners game, right, and and that's the biggest play of the game, really, and, for the and Seahawks. stops them. The Niners are punting. And the week before that, he came up with some clear, with some with some very very clutch pass deflections on back to back plays against the Vikings. And so he's showing that late in games is he's going to be there, and he's going to be ready to make a play for you. And you know, I mean, that's what a system though that Pete Carroll's created <laughs> here. I mean, 
if Pete Carroll is not your vote for coach of the year so far, I I don't know if you've watched enough NFL because I mean this guy was counted out coming into the year with a bunch of just no names on defense besides Bobby Wagner and Frank Clark and you know he's he's done a great job. He's just absolutely you know I'm 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 a huge Pete Carroll supporter and in this offseason Pete Carroll's name was on the hot seat. They were a lot of people were calling for Pete Carroll's job saying that if Pete Carroll does not bounce back this year then he's gone and people said that he wasn't going to have a good year so essentially Pete Carroll was gone in a lot of people's minds after this season but I there's there's absolutely no way he's gone now oh not a chance absolutely he is he's established himself as as not no longer a the biggest knock on Pete Carroll is he's a rah-rah guy that comes in and jazzes you up and and gets his players pumped up because he lets them do whatever they want uh, and he won a Super Bowl because the Legion of Boom was so great because they were all just fantastic, amazing players, and and every single one of them had nothing to do with Pete, and and so that was that was the analysis of Pete. He did it at USC about seven, eight years or whatever it was, and then he left. Um, this is in year nine for the Seahawks, and it's supposed to be a rebuild year. Um, and Pete Carroll said, nope. Uh, I don't know if you guys actually watch, but we run the same defense all the time, and we just plug and play, guys, and we're still legit at it. We we have our system, we teach it to our guys, and they perform. And and by no means am I taking away from the talent of Earl Thomas and these other great Seahawks that got us a Super Bowl. Awesome, thank you. You are not as good without Pete Carroll. No. Earl Thomas, still probably a fantastic safety in the league. I don't know if he's viewed as the best safety in the league without Pete Carroll in that defense. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I was, at least me personally, I didn't see Pete on the hot seat at all, even if we struggled just because I think I, I believed in him a little bit more. I, I don't know how much I believed in, in his scheme and whether he was that fantastic of a coach. I do now, obviously, right. because all those guys are gone and we're still doing great. We're still promising. We're still young. That rough start, 0-2, if we finish the year 4-12, and something like that, yeah, Pete's probably gone. Yeah, and that's just a harsh reality. That I mean, that's just the NFL. If 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 you lose, and everyone, you know, it's 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 more about just the buzz, you know, and it's it's about getting that fresh message in there. And I think that that's where that fire would have came from. It's just something new. Yeah, exactly. A change up, like exactly like how the Browns are doing well now. I'm sorry, Hugh Jackson could not have stayed a coach for the Browns and had them had a turnaround. Whether or not he's a good or bad coach is irrelevant. You've won one game in two years you have created a losing culture in that locker room. Whether or not you preach, we're getting better, we're... No. You're losing games, and you're finding unique ways to do it with talent. Right. Uh, And so it's hard, unless you're Jason Garrett, to have a down season and stay on the team, or stay as the head coach. And so the Seahawks, massive apex, and then gradually kind of fall after the Super Bowl hangover. Um, we're not ever going to talk about it and what happened, but um, kind of a gradual decline where there became a rift in the locker room and things like that. And, and Pete Carroll, and, and it's hard when you go from that greatness to then missing the playoffs to then what everyone believed a four win team. Um, if you go from missing the playoffs with a lot of talent on your roster to then being a tanking team, essentially, that probably fights hard here and there. 
it's hard to keep your job and it would be really hard to justify Pete Carroll as an amazing as the amazing coach that he is especially on the defensive end but now we don't have to now now we can just say Pete Carroll is legit Pete Carroll has a fantastic system for this NFL and he's learning how to adapt with new young guys and new offensive I guess not necessarily new offensive styles is ground and pound but he's learning how to adapt with the personnel that he has and I think that he has an you know he's found an offensive coordinator in Brian Schottenheimer that does what Pete really wants to do you know and Pete even said that he was holding back at the beginning of the year from running the ball as much as Brian wanted to which is kind of crazy to me to think about Pete Carroll not wanting to run the football but I mean once once those two gelled I mean that's tough as a as a as a head coach who's been there for a long time coming in a new coordinator coming in you know and Brian has you know there's there's been some questionable play calls at times you know or time when i think that the play calling gets a little stale but like his two or his two minute offense is, right the, the two minute i hate offense our two minute bad. offense dude i the entire season i've hated it russell wilson has two or three fourth quarter comebacks this year like maybe two um as opposed to like the eight million he's had over the last three seasons that's one thing daryl bevel kind of did pretty well i guess um is run a two minute oh and i don't know if that was because he actually ran a good two minute oh if he was like hey russ do whatever you want. Right. Um, you know, or, or, you know. It, that being said, it was pretty much the only time in the game where Daryl Bevel would be, a, you know, maybe borderline reckless. Yeah. That is when he would get aggressive, and that's when the Seahawks played their best, is when they played on the aggressive side. You know, it, it wasn't the passive run, 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 punt. Don't, don't, don't forget your person. don't forget your short out to... to uh, to to Tyler Lockett or some and then or or a jet sweep that never worked <laughs> right right um, right the occasional wide receiver screen to Doug Baldwin that picks up three because Doug fights through three tackles and dances around um, we're we're beyond that we're we're to twenty we're to thirty carries a game to three running backs and leading the league in rushing offense which is awesome you amazing know, I I love watching you know it, it it's just a, such so refreshing to watch a running game that really really works. You know, in, in a league that's primarily passing, you know, these pe- if people in a league want to pass the ball, you know, like that's just that's just the way that the league is. That's the, what coaches look for, and that's what def- defenses prepare for. So when you mix it up with just an absolute just ground and pound game, it, it it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch a guy like Chris Carson run the ball. Rashad Penny started off, you know, big question mark, got hurt. Um, maybe put on a little bit too much weight in the offseason <laughs> with that injury. Uh, you had trouble adjusting to game speed, you know, to the NFL speed. He's a great running back at San Diego State. You watch those highlights, and he had elite burst. I mean, in, in every clip that I watched, he's just flying around. And this year at the beginning, I didn't see that. It wasn't there. He was very tentative early on. and And I think... You mentioned wasn't quite up to game speed. I think that's a perfect analogy. Rashad Penny missed a lot of the preseason. Uh, I don't think he played. Did he? Did he play in what one preseason game? Maybe if any. If that, I, I actually maybe none. I th- I feel like he. Uh, I I think he started the first preseason game. He, yeah. he had a few touches, but not enough for him to really not understand. Not at all. And preseason what... really isn't. I and mean, then if you're not, Rashad Penny is incredibly talented. He's not as high touted prospect as say like an Ezekiel Elliott. Um, or guys like that, or Todd Gurley, and obviously Todd Gurley had an injury, but uh, 
he he's really grown into it. I mean, Chris Carson has taken over the I'm going to ground and pound, punch you in the mouth up the tackles. And so Rashad Penny has looked, at least this is the evolution I've seen. He said, okay, Chris Carson's going to punch him in the mouth. I'm going to dance around till they, till they spin in circles and get dizzy. I He is fantastic elusiveness. And I I look, I mean, Chris Carson, not Chris Carson, uh, Rashad I, Penny, I believe, led college football in yards after contact last year. He doesn't necessarily look like that kind of runner to me. Not, not, not one bit. And and so that it's it's baffling, but we're kind of seeing this development of a 235 pound Lashawn McCoy able to <laughs> dance around in the backfield. It blows my mind. He's I heard him on a podcast a few weeks ago that said he was at 240 after the finger injury and got down. He was about at 235 a few weeks ago and said he wanted to get even lighter because he felt like he could be faster and more explosive. Uh, and by all means, he can. If he can get faster and more explosive than this, I I can't wait to see the two-headed monster Absolutely. that is Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Only knock is I haven't seen much, if anything, of his really receiving ability. Which we we haven't even really used him in the receiving game. Which is frustrating to me. We've Mike Davis is our third down, or not our third down, is our passing down running back. He plays in our two-minute offense. Mike, no knock to Mike Davis. I love Mike Davis. Um, he's not our running back of the future, though. And Rashad Penny, I think that's the thing where Rashad Penny can become better than Chris Carson. Chris Carson is an excellent ground and pound. Not that great out of the backfield. He had a league, or not a league, uh, career high six catches for 29 yards um, against the 49ers. That's great for fantasy owners. Right. PPR league, sick. I got 30 <laughs> points out of Chris Carson. Um, but that's not getting it done. Mike Davis, I believe, had around five or six catches as well, but he was closer to 60 yards. Right. Uh, so it just kind of shows that Chris Carson doesn't necessarily have the receiving ability that Penny showed a little bit in college and is kind of the mold of a player for. He's quick, elusive, but he's also a big guy, which is why people believe he can be in every down back. And so I eventually want to see Rashad Penny take that step of being a great pass catching back. No, I would, I would love to see Penny more involved in the offense. I mean, he's, he's had a few... Uh, just college-like runs this year that have that have just you know <laughs> struck me as odd, right? And in the NFL, you don't see that quite often when a player is on on a just an outside zone, able to flip the field <laughs> and do it well. I mean, he it, it's not like he's going backwards because he's just trying to do too much. Like he sees something there, and and he's made it happen, and it, it's been it's been great, you know, and I. I, I'm excited about Rashad Penny. He's really surprised me, uh, you know, from the start of the year. Like, it didn't start off great, but he's he's come along. And, you know, I think that maybe that pick by John Snyder and Pete Carroll really wasn't as bad as a lot of people, you know, gave him credit for. I mean, not when not with as well as our offensive line is playing. I mean, it's – and I think Rashad Penny walked the line of a bus label or of a far too early bus label early on. Um, I was disappointed early on as I, he got hurt. There's weight issues. I are you? You look like Eddie Lacy, man. You, you look like Eddie Lacy, and I <laughs> I hated Eddie Lacy on the Packers, and I hated Eddie Lacy on the Seahawks. Um, but then some, something clicked. He, I, I, the Rams game um, a few few weeks back in, in L.A. He busted off his first career touchdown run. I believe actually broke 100 yards that game. Um, since then, I've 
loved every aspect of Rashad Penny's game so far. I mean, aside from the fact that he's not a Chris Carson bruiser up the middle. I mean, if you could do both, then Chris Carson's probably stepping aside. Right. But other than that, I mean, he's played fast. He's played explosive. He's showed good vision. And I, the Seahawks have three, four legit running backs on their squad with McKissick now back. And I, there's a reason we lead the league in 160-something yards rushing per game and are the only team in the league that runs it more than we pass it. Right. And, you know, with McKissick coming back, you know, I, I would not be surprised if in the upcoming weeks you see a little bit of running backs coming out of the backfield on routes just like you saw at the end of that 49ers game i think that with i mean just the versatility that jd mckissick gives you in the passing game and you know just to, just as a change up from what the seahawks have been doing so much of this year i mean that's gonna be you know a dark horse that's gonna be something a team's you know net don't aren't necessarily preparing for you know it might be in the back of their mind but i mean don't be surprised if you see brian schottenheimer sending those running backs on you know routes down the sideline deep down the field Exactly, and and I think building off that, people when they think about the Seahawks, they're preparing for a ground them out, punch you in the mouth, physical offensive line that sets the tone at the line of scrimmage, and you're not going to be thinking about Mike Davis skipping out of the backfield, Rashad Penny skipping out of the backfield, J.D. McKissick running 40 yards up the field, but the Seahawks will, and we will. We saw a lot more passing game against passing to, out of the backfield in the 49ers game. I think a lot of that is because Mike Davis is getting a lot more playtime because Penny was out. Um, but it's, yeah, exactly like you said, it's going to be an innovation and an adaptation that the Seahawks have shown they're really good at doing this year, at least. And I'm excited, at least on some level, I'm excited to kind of see what we take to the top competitors when we do get to that playoffs because we're not losing the Cardinals. We're getting to the playoffs. And I'll say it right here. I think we're going to beat the Chiefs. I, I could I could could have said it a lot more confidently had we beaten the 49ers. Um, now I can't go around town spouting off Seahawks are winning out, going 11 and five, right, and run into the Super Bowl. Um, no, I was pulling the 11, the 11, yeah. the 11 win card this week you know? all week. I was saying Seahawks are winning out, they're upsetting the Chiefs, but winning out going to be the hottest team in football. And then there we go over time and <laughs> lost <laughs> to the 49ers. Nobody worse than the 49ers to lose to. <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah. So it, there's a lot of lot of good things to like about the Hawks. I mean, Pete Carroll's shown fantastic ability to adapt as a coach. Defense is young, looking hungry. Bobby Wagner should be an all-time Seahawk. Keep him forever. Just um, a Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis type of guy. You know? Exactly. And he is he he is the one veteran, at least in, like from the outside looking in, that you know hasn't given up on Pete Carroll. And I think that John Snyder. And Pete Carroll ultimately, I mean, he will be rewarded for being the one guy. He has to, to be, you know. It, it only makes sense, you know. They they got tired. Everybody else, you know, the the the, the voices in the locker room, you know, the just the so questioning. If you talk, the message, you're gone, right? And I mean, Bobby Wagner is is the opposite of that. And for that reason, I would expect Bobby Wagner to get paid. And I think that Frank Clark's going to get paid because Frank Clark wants to be here. He he, he he believes that this is his defense, despite you know Bobby Wagner being there. He <laughs> said it. This is this is my defense. It's now. his D line at the very least. Right. At yeah. The very right. least. But I mean, he thinks this is his era, and I think that I think that he really wants this team to to you know be what they can be. You know, they're so young. The, the, the message is fresh, and you know, I'm I'm there's there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Seahawks fan. 
Yeah, I mean, there really is. Bobby Wagner should be locked up forever. Um, and I, Frank Clark's words about the Richard Sherman era being over were very telling and how he feels. I had talks with my brother where he mentioned that he thinks, he was thinking that Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, his guys, there's his buddies. Those were the ones that were talking there, who he came up with, who he played with, and they're gone. And he was thinking, ah, Frank Clark probably doesn't want to stick around because those are his buddies which is why I thought it was so awesome that he said the Richard Sherman era is over. This is my defense. Right. And it's, he wants to stick around. Let's pay him and let's keep him. Um, and then let's get another pass rusher on the let's other side. Do it. I mean, that would, that would really complete the attack. You I mean, you'd have Jaron Reed uh, at one of the D tackle spots who can r- rush the passer and he can defend the run. And you got Frank Clark, um, you know, to throw in a veteran or a young guy that is good at stuffing the run. A high, a high, a high draft pick. Um, I, we Rasheem Green can even pop in. Right, he's a rookie still, so it's down down rookie season, I guess. But I mean, that's not anybody to give up on. And we've hit on a few other guys, Puna Ford and Quentin Jefferson played. You know, he had two plays last game where I was like, okay, Quentin Jefferson. Quentin Jefferson stepping up, putting Nas Jones to shame. Right. Um, but... Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I kind of interrupted you there, but no, it's it, it's that that we really are just missing that one piece, you know, and. Going into next year, I'm really excited. I'm 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 excited to see how the Seahawks finish out this year. I'm I mean I'm definitely amped up. I think I think the easy road is to take a close loss to the Chiefs at home. Um, I mean that's probably the expected road. Right, is a tough loss to the Chiefs at home where we played hard and obviously we beat the Cardinals, get into the playoffs, and depending on who we play, maybe get to the next round. But then it's an exit. I think that this team has the ability to come out and make a statement against the Chiefs and say, yeah, we screwed up last week against the 49ers. That's it. That's over. We're not doing it again. And obviously, with the rough start, we didn't necessarily have a chance at the division title. But this feels a lot like Russell Wilson's rookie year to me. 2012 all over again. Where the defense started to come around late and really create an identity for themselves. Um at home, we've really done that. It's been an up and down year for the defense, but and we talked about this the whole cast. Right, a lot of young guys, a lot, lot of young guys, um, and so I mean, with the running game, that looks like we got Penny and Carson locked up for three or four more years apiece at least, and that's gonna be just an anchor. And you have your franchise quarterback, you have an elite receiver. I, I'm excited for the next season. I watch out, LA. Um, I'm. You know, at some point, McVeigh's innovative offense is just going to become good offense. It's just going to become something that's been right. studied and filmed. Um, and that that's why it's been so effective is because it's something new, you know? And, exactly. And the league will adjust. The league always adjusts. And I watch out for the Seahawks next season. 100%. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for... I want to see how we end out this year. Obviously, it's disappointing to take a loss to the 49ers, but we got a, an exciting week against the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Uh, you know I'll be hyped up for that. Absolutely. Bringing Mahomes into the clink. Um, and then, you know, say we win that game or win the Cardinals, whichever one, because we're beating the Cardinals, we're at home. Sorry, Rosen, Cardinals fans, whatever, get out of here. It's not happening. Hawks are going to the playoffs, and... Let's let's watch out because some could happen. You never know. I I don't trust the Rams in the playoffs. I I don't trust I don't trust the Bears and Trubisky in the playoffs. Their defense is the best defense in the NFC right now, hands down. Um, that scares me. Right. But that's about it. I'm not scared of Trubisky. I'm not scared of Matt Nagy's innovative offense. I'm not scared of the Saints. I 
I'm a little scared of the Saints in the Thunderdome. Um, okay, at, at at home, yep, the, the Saints are that's are that's, a force to be reckoned with. But I mean, the Saints have shown that they have weaknesses. Oh yeah, and guess you who know? it was against? It was the Cowboys, who are a worse version of the Seahawks. Exactly. So, I mean, to wrap this thing up, Big Red, uh, what do you think the biggest takeaways are? coming into next week you know what are the keys to the game for the Seahawks against the Chiefs um first and foremost I think it's health um I really KJ Wright might be back next week um Rashad Penny was out last week and I know Mike Davis filled in admirably but we just talked about how much we like Penny I want to see him back out there um how what's Bradley McDougal's McDougal's status um like the Chiefs have in a, a plethora of offensive weapons even losing Kareem Hunt so I want I want the Seahawks at full strength because I want to see what that full strength defense can do. Um, so I'm going to be monitoring injury report all week. That's one big key takeaway for me. And then number two is pretty obvious. We got to be able to run the football, and for me at least, we got to be able to run it up the middle, pound the tackles. We we ran a lot of outside against the 49ers and obviously had success. Um, but I I think that kind of takes away from the kind of bruising runner that Chris Carson is and what he does to a defense as the game wears on. When you're constantly punching those D tackles and those D ends in the mouth and they're trying to pass rush and they're getting burned because you're six yards upfield, that wears on you. And the 49ers pass rush at the end of the game looked fresh to me. Right. And, And that's because we weren't able to get into the play action on those runs up the middle because the pitches and outside runs, I don't know if it's because Russell's not as good at faking those or whatever but our play action just doesn't necessarily build as well off that and so i want to see our running game pounded up the middle on the chiefs they have a good pass rush and we need to negate that by doing what we've done all year and pound the football and then obviously russell wilson has to out duel mahomes yep he did it to deshaun watson when he came in here hot as hell last year i was lucky enough to actually be at that game um now i think our defense will play a little better than the 38 points we gave up to the texans but Russell Wilson's going to have to throw three or four touchdowns, at least in my opinion. Um, now, if we ground and pound and run four in there, great. We haven't really shown that that's kind of what we do. We kind of like to pass in the red zone, which has worked. We've been a solid red zone team. Um, but Russell Wilson's got to outdo him Mahomes, make him come into the clink and struggle. Yep. Uh, for me, I agree with you. It's it's health. It's it's health in the in the Seattle secondary with uh, Bradley McDougal. You know, we you, you gotta hope he's back because you know, the biggest key to shutting down the Chiefs' offense without Kareem Hunt is shutting down the pass. And it's you know limiting the big play to Tyreek Hill and limiting the tight end uh, Travis Kelsey. Absolutely, they're two biggest weapons. And I like Stephen A. Smith. Uh, unlike Stephen A. Smith, I'm not scared of Spencer Ware. I'm not either. I'm, I'm not scared of Damian Williams. I know they played well in Kareem Hunt's absence, but they're not Kareem Hunt. No, and, and you know what? Their success to me has been a, just a testament to Andy Reid's system and Andy Reid's offense. And, True. you know, if, 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 if the defense comes out ready to play, the pass rush is there. And, you know, I, I really think that a key to the game is going to be the secondary coming up with a takeaway. We got to take the ball away from Holmes. I think I think we got to make a few takeaways, yep. whether it's a fumble and a pick or a couple picks. I we I would love to see some interceptions in that game because I think that that right there. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is he hasn't made a lot of mistakes this year. He hasn't, but he's prone to them. He's right. he's prone to trying to force that, big plays. And yeah, he can do it. The dude can throw it thirty yards downfield left-handed. I guess so. I mean, <laughs> obviously he's talented, but the Seahawks have shown a pension for takeaways, and when we play at our best, we we get them. Absolutely, we just gotta you know just take advantage of him being young and just 
trying to make plays because he he does force it. And I mean, the Seahawks are good at taking advantage of people who try to force it. <laughs> look at look at what we've done to Cam Newton. You know True. how many th- how many interceptions has Cam Newton thrown against the Seahawks over the year? And th- that's this, this year aside, right? Because he shredded us well, and like, through like three incompletions, right? But... I mean that you know it's <laughs> it, it's just. You know, it, but that's what we do. He he got aggressive, and Bradley McDougal picked him off. Absolutely, you know, shooting for the end zone. So, you know, that's. I I think we can absolutely upset him. I'm calling it now. Seahawks upset the Chiefs at home Sunday night football. You better tune in, and uh, we'll get right back with you next week with another cast to cover uh, the Chiefs game. Hopefully, we'll be covering a Seahawks win. Yeah, absolutely. A big Reds on board. Uh, Seahawks taking home a big Sunday night football win, and I. Last thing I just want to say is thank you, uh, Aiden. It's fantastic being on this show. I, I love Seattle sports, and it's really awesome to get the opportunity to step away from kind of the more broad, general sports talk that I do on my own cast. Um, so, yeah, it's just been awesome. A fantastic time. All right. Um, from Soto Sports Talk, this is Aiden and Big Red signing out. See you next week. <laughs>